Join leading executives from ITV, Channel 4, Sky, Marks & Spencer, Heineken, and many more for a dedicated day of networking and panels at the Telecast Brand-Funded Entertainment Summit at Advertising Week Europe on Thursday the 16th of May at 180 Studios in London. Panel discussions will explore how to work with UK broadcasters in brand-funded entertainment, navigating the world of compliance, IP and distribution, creator partnerships, the future of digital branded content, brand-funded podcasts, and more. Delegate tickets are available now via telecast.com forward slash events at a very special discounted rate of £350 plus VAT which also grants delegates access to more than 100 sessions at the event over all three days from the 14th to the 16th of May. Join company presidents and CEOs, founders, futurists, influencers, agencies and execs from brands including Coca-Cola, TikTok, Google, Activision Blizzard, LinkedIn, Netflix and Deliveroo. Plus, celebrities including Drive Tribe's Richard Hammond and pop legends take that. Telecast Brand-Funded Entertainment Summit in association with 53 Degrees North Media at Advertising Week Europe on the 16th of May 2024. Get your tickets now at telecast.com forward slash events and level up your knowledge and contacts in the world of brand-funded entertainment. Telecast, the TV industry news review. Well, hello and welcome to this bonus episode of Telecast, where I'm joined by Variety's international editor, Manori Ravindran, to take a look at the key stories emerging from the run-up to and the first day of MIPCOM. Manori, hello again. How are you doing? Hey, Justin. I'm good. How are you? I'm really well. I'm, I'm missing Cannes terribly. I really am. I kind of, I, I, I want to see, I see myself being on the croissette right now, tucking into a salad nissoise or something like that, or running around desperately late for a meeting. <laughs> uh, how have you found the, the last few days in the run up to MIPCOM? Because presumably that is your busiest time of the year, right? It is. It definitely is one of the busiest times, um, for sure. I mean, it's been it's been a weird it's been a weird old time. I mean, as it has been for for everyone. I can't recall how many emails I get saying such strange times, which I completely appreciate because they are. Um, this year's MIPCOM is weird. I mean, you know, we're not seeing the the frenzied. I mean, honestly, if it was any other any other day, uh, Monday. Uh, for MIPCOM, we would be inundated, just, you know, completely beside ourselves in terms of navigating all of the news coming our way, all the press releases, trying to figure out how to package things. Um, I mean, honestly, even in the lead up to it in the last, uh, you know, last week, it would have been hectic. But this year, we're not really seeing that. We're um, we're seeing companies um, hold off, I think, on, on announcing big deals. Some of those kind of big project announcements just haven't really come to pass. I think some I think I think part of it is a sensitivity thing. People, you know, are are dealing with, uh, you know, have bigger fish to fry in terms of just tr- treading water and keeping companies afloat and keeping, uh, you know, trying to nav- navigate staffing issues. And another part of it is just, you know, it's just <laughs> there's there's simply not a, you know, pr- because of the production hiatus, it's really impacted everything. And there's just the, the content simply isn't available. So we're really seeing that in terms of the the news that we have and tr- to get out there. Speaking personally, we've also seen that, you know, real change in a bit of a step change running up to MIPCOM. We still have announcements for our clients, but many fewer than normal and uh, perhaps a different type of announcement. 
So looking at the uh, the stories of the last few days in the run-up to MIPCOM, what have you seen have been the, you know, the key trends? I mean, I've I noticed, for example, that US networks perhaps are looking more and more overseas to fill their, their schedules during the pandemic. And that's something that you've covered in, uh, in Variety. Um, it's been fascinating to sort of see the likes of uh, someone like the CW, for example, looking to Canada, looking to the UK, looking to looking to Italy, for example, even with with Devils in the case of uh, Sky Italia's drama there with Patrick Dempsey. Basically, they need content, and you know, ultimately, at this point, international provides. There's there's a lot of shows with very high production values, and I think U.S. broadcasters are finally kind of wising up to the fact that you know, they're good fits for, for schedules. And, and the key thing, I think we, we did a story, um, our US-based writer, Will Thorne, spearheaded that, that piece. Uh, the key thing for us was whether that's going to continue after this period is over. And honestly, from, from that piece in his reporting, I think that the, the people that he spoke with at NBC and, and the CW really seemed to indicate that, you know, this is going to take some time. And, and um, I think that need for content will will definitely endure. Um, I think they're realizing as well that some of this programming is actually rating fairly well. I mean, okay, maybe Taskmaster uh, going to the U.S. wasn't necessarily the hit that everyone was hoping for. But we saw that. That was obviously a big story about I don't know a couple of months ago that Taskmaster was making its way over to the states, but it it, uh, it hasn't worked out. It did not work out. I think it was, I believe it was pulled after just one very poorly rated episode. Um, I mean, it's a quirky show. It's very British. And I, I suppose it, you know, it's not, it's not really everyone. It's slightly an acquired taste. But yeah, that didn't, that didn't quite land. But shows like Tehran, for example, it's not a broadcaster, but, but Apple TV uh, Plus picking that drama up. I mean, that has done gangbuster seemingly a lot of critical acclaim and um, very a lot of buzz around that. So it's it's been quite nice actually to see some some global projects really getting a nice platform and getting highlighted in, in ways that you wouldn't normally necessarily see. It would be a little bit, you know, they you, we do see that, but it's a little bit far and few in, in between, I'd say. And now we're seeing a nice steady, steady roll of good kind of international programs getting US eyeballs. That's potentially a uh, you know a result of I guess countries approach to production obviously and keeping production going and we've seen internationally what I'm saying and internationally outside the US there's obviously been number of countries Canada France UK in particular have you know their governments have really sort of you know made big strides and big efforts to help production continue and perhaps we're seeing some of the benefits of that 100% um you know we've uh, certainly in the UK uh, I actually had a conversation with with Jane Tranter for the London Film Festival. Um, she's obviously the head of Bad Wolf and the producer of shows like His Dark Materials and uh, Discovery of Witches Industry. But, you know, she was basically saying that the UK is um, people are looking to this country in particular to, I suppose, focus production on. And um, just because we have the infrastructure, things are starting to get up and going, and they have, they have actually been for for some time. I think the issue, obviously, now is the the insurance here, um, which I think is is very much needed. And and they, you know, we really need that EU approval to get things going. But um, but yeah, I mean, the UK is is sort of the go to, and and similar for you know for for places like like Canada, where I, obviously there have been a, a few little roadblocks, but but in general, um, governments have really rallied and and tried to get things going as fast as they can, which is a real testament to the industries and a real sort of Philip 
for those local production uh, uh, economies. And, uh, and another story that you highlighted was uh, a HBO Max acquisition as well. Yeah, absolutely. So we saw, obviously, uh, I Hate Susie, also from Bad Wolf, uh, for Sky being picked up by HBO Max. Um, it just sort of ties into what we were saying before in terms of big acquisitions out of the US for, for international shows. But that was that was quite a nice, obviously, that show did really well here. Clearly, it's it's got the potential to sort of cross the pond. And, uh, and we're seeing HBO Max, which, you know, <laughs> I think it sort of had a number of its its own original plans somewhat thrown into question by the pandemic and they're hungry for content. And that's a classic example of them just sort of swooping in for something and uh, and, and filling that void for themselves. So it's, uh, yeah, it's really exciting. I think we'll probably see a few more of those in the, in the weeks to come. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. Let's, let's keep our, uh, our eyes peeled for those. You know, many people have said, that have said to me that, you know, MIPCOM this year is going to be much more of a distributor's market. So, I mean, I don't know whether that's true or not, but we're, what we are seeing is some new players in the distribution business as well, aren't we? Yeah, we are. It's actually really, really exciting um, to see production companies uh, properly get into the uh, into the distribution space. I, I suppose it's not altogether surprising, but for example, like Woodcut Media run by... Um, by the amazing Kate Beale, um, now expanding into distribution with Woodcut International. Um, it's, I, from what I understand, it's something that they've been thinking about for some time, but to actually sort of execute that during the pandemic, I suppose the the question is obviously how, whether, you know, whether they feel confident enough to to be able to, I mean, certainly for, for their own shows, uh, they'd be able to distribute those, but, you know, will they move into, into third party um, acquisitions as well? How, how, how that, kind of entity will evolve is quite is quite interesting to me and we've also seen yeah obviously with uh with tcb uh founders paul heaney and uh and dina as well obviously starting bossa nova um so another sort of distribution co-production um group there as well and also i just wanted to highlight um i believe it was, it was plimsoll sort of buying magnify uh media which is another interesting uh distribution play there as well i'm fascinated to see how that how that works, how, um, you know, whether other distributors are perhaps, <laughs> are, are perhaps threatened by that, or I guess the question is, is whether, is really the third party um, things, whether, whether they, um, whether these new groups will, will look to buy other content from, from other producers or, or just distribute their own. So um, I'm happy to see how that works out. It's, it's interesting time to, to, to launch a distribution business, isn't it? Presumably, you know, content is going to be at a real premium. Fresh content is going to be at a real premium, particularly over the next three, four months. So in that sense, if you've got access to it, if you've got the connections, if you've got either your own content or you know the right connections to bring that content to market, then it's a brilliant time. And it's obviously there's quite a big gap that Q used to Q Media used to fill that is uh, that is is, is essentially uh, open now and we, we're seeing lots of these new businesses Abacus as well obviously is, uh, that we, we had uh, Jonathan Ford on the show a few weeks ago you know lots of these new businesses that are uh, that are rushing to plug that gap I have to say I think Mipcom it's a it's a real shame that it's not that it's not actually underway because I think it's one thing obviously to, to to be in that virtual environment and to sort of see things happening, you know, on your computer screen, but it's another to really be on the ground and to sort of see, um, to see the the gap in the stands, you know, to see who's there, to see who's not there. 
Um, I mean, the, you know, kind of the fall of Q uh, was pretty big. I mean, that was, you know, a number of months ago earlier at the top of the year. But um, but in a way, I mean, it's it's wonderful to see how folks from that business have just been able to sort of pick themselves up, start new firms and, um, and, you know, and producers like Woodcut, obviously, which I believe had worked closely with Q, you know, are able to uh, innovate and do something on their own in terms of them being able to sort of use that to their advantage. It sparked some innovation in them to just strike out on their own and, and realize, oh, actually, we can just do this for ourselves. Now more than ever, you know, fortune favors the brave. If you ever want to try something new, experiment, or actually, you know, do that do that thing with your business that you've been thinking about for a long time. I mean, it's now's the opportunity to experiment and grow, isn't it? Rather than just, you know, hoping that your, I guess your, your, your regular uh, business plan works or not. If you can take it in things in your own hands and, uh, and take your, a new uh, proposition to market, now's the time to do it. I mean, I think so. I think you just have to sort of like, even with someone like Woodcut Media, obviously they have the the backing of uh, anthology groups. So I think you really do need some some investment, and you need to be able to manage the risk. I think for a lot of companies, they probably. I mean, I think I think as much as I hate to say this, I think they're probably the exceptions to the rule. Mm. Um, I think people are able to innovate, but I think it's all about managing risk and um, and really just making very smart use of resources at this point, because as we know, this pandemic has just been brutal for our sector. I mean, it's really, um, you know, I think people are, are really struggling. So it's really great to see companies like that sort of doing something different and, and clearly feeling that, you know, being confident enough to take that step in general, probably people are, uh, they might be a little bit more risk averse going forward too, you know, for some of the, the smaller companies, which is understandable. Fascinating that the the, uh, the changes that this winter is uh, is presumably going to uh, to ring on the uh, on the industry, and we'll be keeping our eyes out for those. Co-production and high-end international co-production is uh, has been a massive growth area over the last few few years, but it's been experiencing somewhat of a downturn during the pandemic, hasn't it? I think so. I think just sort of the, the physical. Um challenges in terms of travel restrictions um it it i guess co-productions are probably the the most obvious um area in terms of taking a hit but um again not to not not to harp on about my conversation with uh with jane tranter too much but um you know i sort of put this question to her and and she sort of said that co-productions are still you know are still very much possible it's just that instead of being spread out across various different uh countries they're kind kind of You'll have the different various partners, but production is focused uh, very much on on one um, on in one place, and and the UK obviously is a is a great uh, place to do that. Hopefully, until the next round of restrictions, which I'm praying to God don't affect uh, our industry. But um, but yeah, so I, I think I think productions um, from from what someone you know of her ilk, very high level, uh, has to say, like it seems to be that you know, deals are still are still being made, uh, or certainly people are looking forward to, to, to keeping up with those co-production deals. But um, it's just, it's just production is, is largely concentrated in, in sort of one market rather than spread out. I read in one of your pieces recently, which uh, Anne-Marie Corvin wrote, which was around Spain and, and production in Spain. There's a particular production business, Marina Films, who are actually going into production on a feature with no insurance. I mean, that's that's 
super brave, I have to say. You know, that's that's probably something that I don't think I would quite have the stomach for. Uh, yeah, I know. I mean, I, I I have to say it's really it's really really worrying when you when you think about. You know, I don't think it's them alone. I mean, there's so many so many productions, both on the film and TV side, where people have just had to sort of go it alone. They haven't had the support. I mean, in Spain, um, you know, it's not the situation is simply not the same as what we're seeing in Canada with their sort of fifty million um, dollar fund there, and in the UK with the the five hundred million pounds without support. I, I just I I don't I I think producers simply are feeling that they just have to kind of stick to the protocols, do a good as job as they can as they can sort of muster um keep people in bubbles and and hope to god that that uh that they can if if something happens that they can um i suppose quarantine people um and hopefully the rest of production can can kind of continue um unhindered um because yeah i mean what else what else can you really do i suppose i mean in the uk here as well you know keep in mind this kind of insurance fund that we've got in place it's still not live i mean they're they're opening applications now and they're processing processing them but um, ultimately we still need that European Union um, approval so until that 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 scheme is not going to go live um, and and I believe the applications you know your your projects can sort of backdate from July um, but but still I think it's if that scheme isn't extended I think that you are looking kind of at a very small window of time there and it's not um, it's not it's not ideal really no absolutely not well uh well, good luck to anybody going into production right now, you know, uh, whether they're covered insurance or, you know, and particularly if they're not, goes back to what we were saying earlier on, fortune favours the brave, uh, I would imagine. Minori, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today in what is a very different kind of MIPCOM experience, but I've really enjoyed having you on the show. Can you believe it's four months since we last spoke? Uh, that, that four months seems to have gone by in a you know in a heartbeat i know i was thinking that because the last time i think we were sort of uh scratching our heads about the next dg <laughs> and i remember you asking me about oh yeah who's it going to be and and all of this and um and yeah obviously now we um we know who and we're we're we wait with eager anticipation to see how to see how tim davy navigates the the beeb through this period but um but yeah i mean a lot can a lot can happen and and yet nothing can happen to you in that period. I find, um, yeah, quite sad, but you know, here we are, we're still muddling through it. And, um, I think we'll get there, you know, I mean, if anything, we've seen a lot of, yeah, a lot of positive news stories come through this period too. A lot of people who are innovating and trying new things and it always keeps our jobs very, very interesting. We just want to support people doing their jobs in film and TV as best we can. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. We'll uh, keep our eyes on Variety and see uh, see all these uh, the stories that uh, that you're going to be featuring in the uh, in the weeks and the months ahead. So, thanks again for taking some time out of your really busy schedule to to speak to us. Thanks, Justin. All right. Bye. Well, thanks for joining us. That's about it for today's Mitcom Mini Show. We'll be back tomorrow night when I'll be joined by Broadcast Magazine's international editor, John Elms, as we look at the highlights and key news stories of day one of MIPCOM Online Plus, including the Ted Sarandos interview. Until then, stay safe.